Hi everyone, I'm Lucas Mack and welcome to another episode of The Golden Rule Revolution, where inspiration and purpose come from treating people like people and nothing less. Speaking of treating people like people, I am honored to bring my guest today to the show. His name is Martin Barrett. He is a business executive, an entrepreneur. He has done a variety of different things in his life, both in business and in the nonprofit side, both with ministry and helping people and also in his own personal family. He's an incredible man, someone that has blessed me tremendously. And I'm really honored to bring Martin to the show. Martin, thank you for joining the Golden Rule Revolution. How are you? I'm doing well, Lucas. It is always great to be with you. Always great to be talking about things that actually matter. It's awesome. I'm so glad we're doing this. Yeah. And you know, we're today we wanted to talk about the honor culture and creating yes. a culture in society that's based on honor and not vindication, honor and not retribution, honor and not isolation. And you have had quite uh, an interesting journey just even recently what you've done. But before we even get into that, tell, tell everyone your background. Where did you grow up and how did you get into what you're doing right now? Well, my wife says I haven't grown up yet, but I've aged. Uh, I, I began my aging process uh, back down in, back in Salem, Oregon, and uh, then came up to Seattle, met my wife in college. We got married, ended up on Young Life staff for a number of years, then uh, went into our family business. My grandfather invented the lockbox that real estate agents use when houses are for sale. Uh, And so my brother and I were the third generation. And um, so we ran that company uh, for a while. And then we ended up by selling it, uh, moving up here to Seattle. And uh, we've been here doing all kinds of things from uh, running wineries to uh, uh, building what we call a generosity agency. and uh, being back involved in Young Life and working to try to solve some of the problems of homelessness and those, of, those friends of ours uh, that are living on the street right now just trying to survive. And uh, so those are many of the things that we've been doing. It's been very, very varied and uh, exciting, very exciting. So That's cool. Um, just so everyone knows, and we'll definitely talk about it at the end, but you have Sozo Gifts. What are, yeah. what are the companies that people can check out? We have, there's Sozo. Well, they can go to, uh, they can go to uh, generosity.agency. Generosity.agency. Kind of the umbrella. And, uh, and fundamentally, the idea of the generosity agency is that everything that a business does becomes tied with generosity. And most businesses have not thought through their generosity in such a way that it literally leverages their top and bottom line. But engaging in generosity in the right way is actually one of the best ways to build loyalty uh, with customers and with employees. And the beautiful thing about that is when you have more loyal customers and more loyal um, employees, you actually make more money. And we like that because companies that are generous, when they make more money, they're more generous. So (laughs) it's actually, it's kind of crazy, but if a business isn't benefiting financially from their giving, they're actually not maximizing their altruism. Hmm. Because if they can use generosity to grow their top and bottom line, they have more money to give away and they can do more. And there's a way to do that, which is, arrogant and there's a way to do that which is humble hmm. which kind of goes into an honor culture yeah yes. talking about and when it's done in a humble way it is really really powerful hmm. yeah so that's what we work with businesses whether they're actually giving gifts through sozo gifts whether they are um, engaging their customers in acts of generosity through world changers or whether or not they are Uh, creating a really fun way to educate their little town on all the good things that are happening uh, through something that we call a hunt hunt for charity. Hmm. So uh, those are the three, three elements of the generosity agency. And when you, 
we've mentioned honor culture a couple of times. When you think of an honor culture, what does that look like? An honor culture is by its very nature an other-centered culture. Hmm. An honor culture looks at the other person and says, you are actually more important than me. But what's fascinating, it doesn't do that from the idea that, oh, woe is me, I am a worm. The only people that can practice an honor culture are people who actually know how loved they are. Hmm. So if, if you really embrace your belovedness, you can practice honor culture because no more are you always competing and trying to beat somebody else. No more are you measuring your value by how superior you feel over somebody else or how you think other people think you are superior over everybody else. Mm. When you come to a deep state of belovedness, literally everybody out there is this wonderful mystery Mm. and you get to rejoice in that versus trying to demonstrate that we are better. You know, as people, as people, it's impossible for us to validate ourselves. No one can validate themselves. Not a single person can do that. All of us require validation by something bigger than us. Hmm. So when, that, when someone leans into their belovedness, I lean into my belovedness with, um, with God hmm. and with this extraordinary father um, who loves me and created me and thought of me before time ever began and was crazy about me and couldn't wait until the day I became a reality on this earth and wakes up every morning and is excited to spend time with me. Hmm. But that's the God of the universe. Let me tell you, that is incredibly validating. When I live in that place, I just can ooze with honor and love for other people. So, but most people are trying to find their validation through, through everybody else. You know, if I can get enough people to love me, if I can get the world, I, if I can get the world to love me, or at least I can perceive they love me, somehow I'll be an important person. But the problem is that doesn't ever really work because you're still in a place of subjectiveness where that may happen, but what if they don't love me tomorrow? Hmm. Oh, well, then how do I continue to practice and honor culture? How do I be other-centered? Because you can only be other-centered from a place of being filled. It seems like if there's conditions upon our validation, then it's, hard, it's almost impossible to have an honor culture. If there's so it much is. conditional... It is. Yeah. It is. You can't have... You can... Some people... You can't sustain treating other people nicely for a while. But usually when something bad happens or someone doesn't appreciate you or you feel like someone didn't validate you, that can evaporate pretty quickly. And all of a sudden you revert from being an honor person to someone who says, you owe me. You know, in an honor culture, no one feels like they... A person who lives in an honor culture doesn't feel like anybody owes them anything. Hmm. They don't owe me anything. And that changes it. Uh, it's, it's the exact opposite of an entitlement mentality. And so many people walk around with entitlement mentalities of all, of all kinds and in, and in all groupings, all political persuasions, even people who are people of faith, whatever faith that might be, they walk around with an entitlement mentality. But, but an entitlement mentality is always based on a deficiency. Hmm. I need something. I must have something. I need you to give it to me. But once you live in this place of belovedness, you don't need that anymore. So what am I entitled to? I already have everything. How, how does someone, well, first of all, where do you think that need for, or it's not even the need for, but where do you think the origin of entitlement stems from? What, what is that? Cause I mean, I think we've heard even the millennial generation, we've heard narratives 
of they're an entitled generation or maybe a young, I mean, but what, what creates a sense of entitlement? Oh, I think it always comes from a place of loss. It's always coming out of an emptiness. Um, it has this sense of, I need something more in order to be filled up or I need something more to feel satisfied mm. or I need something more to feel safe even. Mm. And so an entitlement is always a statement of a, of a deficit. And I, and I would say that the younger generation is absolutely living in a place of uh, deficit. And you can tick all the way through from the fatherless culture. I mean, we, we live in a country now that's a fatherless culture. Most kids are going to grow up without a father in, in the home. And when a father is gone, the mother doesn't have as much time either, you know, to do the things that a mother would normally do because she's bearing all the responsibilities of, of both parents at that point in time. So we live in a fatherless culture. We live in a culture that says, if you don't agree with me, we, we can't be friends. So we're living in this place of fear. Mm. Um, and that also is a place of estrangement. Um, and so these, this deficit, you know, and, and we live in a, in a time where materialism is so rampant and what we have taught the younger generation is that you are satisfied because you have stuff. Well, that's a terrible place to live. Stuff is never the thing that actually brings um, peace and joy and a sense of fulfillment in your life. But that's what we've communicated to them. So the younger generation, I always tell, cause I obviously I'm an older guy, you know, and when, I'm with my friends that are criticizing the younger generation. My question always is, who's their daddy? Mm. Like, where did they get this from? Well, they got it from my generation. Yeah. Uh, and so, because my generation's an entitled generation, and we're operating out of that sense of deficiency as well. So, it, I think it always comes when you're trying to fill a hole. And, um, and then the only question is, are we willing to recognize where where the struggle is, it, it's, it is risky to even recognize it. Hmm. What if you realize everything that the world has been telling you is not the answer? Oh my gosh, now what do you do? <laughs> Scary place to be. It is. It is. I think um, it's interesting as I'm hearing you talk and, and thinking through the, the generations. I gave this talk probably maybe six or seven years ago, it was called the Y revolution. And, and it was about the greatest generation became the greatest generation because they had a common why that they, they all had the same purpose to get up every single day to sacrifice and to, to overcome a great evil that was sweeping across the globe. And that grit and mentality that really that necessity, they didn't have a choice at, at the same time they had to, or they were going to be taken out as well. So they, they sacrificed. And after World War II, I mean, there's lots of different theories of why the, the American economy boomed from the war machine and all those. But the reality is there was a lot of wealth created from the greatest generation. And then the boomers came around and they inherited all the wealth, but didn't, I think they didn't, have the sense of they created it, they just inherited it, and then that created a sense of guilt. And they tried to maximize it. So I say the greatest generation had a why, the boomers came along and focused on the what, tried to maximize the what of what they yes. inherited. The yes. Gen Xers came along and said, what's insufficient enough? Or once, what is insufficient to produce inspiration? So they focused on the how. We had a technological revolution. And then the millennials are this, resurgence or revolution back to the why and then the question now becomes in it doesn't matter if you're in your 60s or 30s or 20s or 70s 80s we all get to choose for this time right now yes we choose to create something better different and that yes. i think is what we're talking about the honor culture yes 
Yes, yes, exactly. So going back to this whole issue of generations, I, I appreciate the fact that you've gravitated towards that. Because in an honor culture, each generation owns its stuff. Hmm. And each generation seeks to build up the next generation hmm. and honor the previous generation. So if we were living in an honor culture, my generation would not continue to trash the young generation. Mm. Instead, it would be calling the young generation up to something that is even greater. But in a non-honor culture, we have what we currently have in which my generation continues to speak negatively constantly about the younger generation. The problem is it isn't like the younger generation doesn't have issues. The younger generation has huge issues. Hmm. But my generation has huge issues. Yeah. So it's not like all of a sudden big issues were a whole new thing. <laughs> and most of the issues that the younger generation has are issues that my generation gave them. Hmm. So when you step out of the judgmental culture and you move into an honor culture and you fundamentally believe that every person in this next generation has been created for greatness hmm. and you begin to think differently about it. You begin, you stop the endless sniping and criticizing of that generation and you begin to ask as you're saying, why, right. why are they here? Right. What is their purpose? What is their destiny? Why, why, why are they here for this time? Right. And how do I, as someone who is supposed to be an elder who cares for them, helping them fulfill their destiny mm. and, to, and live into who they were actually created to be? That's a very different attitude than... Oh, they're just so entitled, you know, they're just so, 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 you know, right. on and on and on. It's like, right. well, how, tell me how that helps. Tell me how that is operating and functioning in an honor culture. And how that attitude changes anything too, because all it does to indict another is it doesn't change anything. It just separates and creates more chasm and yes. more desperate, yeah. uh, disparate parts. And, and, Usually the, this poem that I'm about to reference, and we've talked about this before, is used with, you know, Nazism or different things because it was truly written based in the Nazi era. But when Martin Emoweller wrote, here's a German Lutheran pastor, it basically the Nationalist Church of Germany prior to World War II. He's a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, Aryan nationalist, pro-Germany, pro-the uh, state. And he writes in a concentration camp. First, they came for the Bolsheviks. And I said nothing because I was not a Bolshevik. Then they came for the trade unionists. I said nothing because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews. I said nothing because I was not a Jew. And when they came for me, there was no one left to speak. Mm. And that, I, I think of that, that's really the premise of this podcast. The golden rule revolution is to treat people like people and nothing less. It's yes. that if I can't see myself in another person's shoes, then I can't really see myself because yes. I think we are so, if I can't see myself in another, then that means I'm only filtering my worldview through my own pain. And yes. I can't have compassion to see another person and right. say, if I grew up in their house, in their shoes, in their thoughts, in their body, would I be any different than where they are right now? Whether that's the homeless on drugs, sleeping on concrete, yes. or the 1% of the world, mm -hmm. I can't say I would be any different. So mm -hmm. I must have compassion and we must have compassion in society. Yeah. And this is where we get to choose to create the honor culture. Yeah, yeah. So that's an interesting thing because then the question is, why do we not have compassion? So what's your thought on that, Lucas? Mm. I think we don't have compassion because we have a global narrative of, of 
I, I, I agree. You said validation. It's also a vindication narrative. And so if I'm hurt, I want to get back. I want that immediate sense of soothing relief. If I, if I strike back, I, I think as a hurt person, I would think that was going to make me feel better. Or if I intimidate or hurt or so hurt people perpetually hurt people. And without becoming a healed human being saying, I simply, you know, Shakespeare said to be mm-hmm. in the present moment, to be present, to be in my body, in my mind, fully aware of all my state or not to be. There mm-hmm. are no other means by which we can move forward in this world. So I think we lack compassion because we are lacking healing in this world. So where, Lucas, coming back, where have you experienced compassion and where have you experienced an honor culture? Hmm, man. I've referenced it quite a bit. You and I have talked about it before. When I went to this, um, you know, I grew up in church and I had done ministry. I actually led my own ministry for years. and, And even in that, I use the word compassion, but I don't. I, I never experienced compassion myself in, in this regard. The compassion that I professed and I think received was only a compassion of condition, meaning if you maintain this image, I will have compassion on you. But the minute you do something different, the minute you act, think, speak, move, smell, uh, anything different than my view of you that should be, then I no longer have compassion. I have judgment, which then isolated me and isolates others in becoming a prisoner of their own self. And so where I experienced true compassion when I went to this emotional intelligence program and it was set up, no judgment. You can't know people's last names. You're not to talk business. You're not to be in a relationship. You're here just to love and, and show compassion to people and let them feel, create safe space, the process. And I thought, and I did, and I healed. And if I ever had a born again experience, it was at this thing. And it was so profoundly powerful that I thought there's no reason this can't be, this, this is the modality of, by which we were to go. Mm-hmm. Love, love God, love people. Mm-hmm. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. That's it. Right. So right. that's where I that's where I've experienced it. And then an honor culture. I think since knowing you and and seeing what you're doing and and really learning the business community through, that can make the greatest impact, not government. Mm-hmm. I mean, government has its place certainly, it, but the business community is the front line person. It's the owner that employs people that affects the home life that affects the children's view of business that affects whether their parents will be there or not be there, whether their parents had a good day or not had a good day, whether they're supporting generously nonprofits that are also out on the front lines making a difference. And so I think the business community is caught in these two worlds as well. The Mm -hmm. businesses trying to validate themselves to how cool they are and have the latest glitz and glam and then those steady companies that stay humble and make great impact i think those are honor honorable cultures within yes. companies yes 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 what, yeah. what have you seen well when you see an honor culture whether that there, there's always a leader in mm-hmm. that um who sets a tone and then People thrive around that or they leave. And uh, when they thrive, it's, it is transformational in their lives and they begin to treat others, you know, in a very, very different way. So in an honor culture, um, an honor culture can happen on a team. You know, it, it can happen because a coach begins to instill an honor culture because of the way that he treats his players and the way he treats his other coaches mm. and so forth. Um, and what's fascinating is they're not obsessed with the idea of winning. They're obsessed with the idea of raising up people to become better than what they were, to fulfill who they were, who they are, and what their purpose is. 
the fascinating thing, of course, is that they usually end up by being the best coaches, and they win more games than anybody else. Johnny Wooden is, is the classic, you know, the greatest That's coach right. of all time. That's right. He all they created an honor culture. Um, and so it, it, was, it was such a juggernaut that no one else could and, – and, but people didn't even understand. They, didn't, they still kept trying to play by the, the, the rules that right. you're supposed to coach by, which is basically try to beat the other team versus him saying, I'm going to have the – my guys are going to be the best team, period, because we're going to work together at these things, and no one else – it's going to be able to touch us because of that. So right. it's just a whole different, it's a whole different way, you know, of, of doing that, but and it raises people up. So I've seen it. I've experienced a little bit with um, a great coach where I got a small taste of that. I've experienced it uh, with a couple of business mentors mm. um, who I saw literally change companies in, about 90 days, the entire culture actually drove some people nuts because they didn't know how to operate in, in, in a uh, honor culture uh, because the idea of esteeming one another is better than yourself was actually threatening to them. Mm. Uh, and they just couldn't get over that. So they had to go someplace where the measurement was always how do you beat up on the next guy? You know, how do, how do I just make sure I'm better than the guy next to me? Hmm. And that everybody knows that. So um, it's, it's fascinating in, in those, but I think this whole idea of an other centered idea of life and the sense of that um, it comes out, I would say it, it comes out of my, at least my definition of humility. So a humble person is not the guy who thinks he's a worm. That's actually not a humble person. Right. Um, a humble person is someone who delights in who God made them to be mm. and is content with, the, with God's purpose for their life. Hmm. When you delight in who God made you to be, you actually even enjoy the areas you're not good at mm. because you know that it creates space for someone to come along and be with you yeah. who is really good at that. That's good. That's so you kind of go, actually, I'm like, I'm a technical moron. So it creates all kinds of space for these young friends of mine to come and they know way more than I do. Right. I'm not threatened by these people. I love it. You know, right. I'm learning from them. I, I ask them questions and we go with their decision, not my decision. I may be twice as old as them. It doesn't matter. Hmm. It's so fun to be a technical moron when you have great people that get to come alongside with you. So sometimes we see those things, but instead of being frustrated that I'm not good technically, which I never will be, by the way, right. and I could study all day long and waste all kinds of time, why would I be frustrated with that? Why not just, and this is this idea in some ways of compassion, is that one of the reasons we can give compassion is because we've given grace and compassion to ourselves hmm. as if because we've, we've said it's okay that I'm not everything. Yeah. I don't have to be everything. I'm right. fine. Not being, in fact, I like not being everything. It's awesome. <laughs> not being everything. And right. I like, I really delight in who I am. I am grateful for who I am. Right. That completely changes that, the, the dynamic. And when you can say to somebody, when you, experience that then you can say to someone i delight in who you are that's right way, i know that you're not all that in two buckets of chicken besides either because as we get going together we're going to find out there's some things you don't do well it's gonna be fun to find that out because then we're going to find out who else is going to be with us and that's right who's really, really good at this that's right so, as opposed to when i find out what you're not good at you know, that's when the tension is going to come and it's going to be a hassle and it's going to be a problem and on and on and on. And that's when the, yeah, it's like, no, what happens when that discovery becomes a moment of celebration rather than a moment of condemnation? Mm. And it's really, then it's fun. That's, that's an honor. That's an honor culture. I, I have a good litmus test for if someone is humble or not. <laughs> and you just made me think of this. It's, if you, I think you said, if you delight in who you are, if you're, if you're, mm -hmm. if you feel blessed in who you are, 
that is one thing. But if you're unable to delight in another's person, another person being blessed in who they are, yes, no, you're not <laughs> delighting in who you are. Exactly. That's really well said. To take, you can just know of yourself. Oh, because I really believe there's this book. Um, one of my Orthodox Jewish friends gave me this book. I'm looking for it. The whole premise of the book is everything and every, um, not everything, everyone that comes into our life is a mirror to us mm -hmm. to show us ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we usually look at indicting the other as opposed to like, well, if I'm not delighting in that person, mm -hmm. I, I'm truly not delighting in myself. And, and the book goes right. to the husband yeah. and the wife, that the wife is, and, and the husband, vice versa, are mirrors to each other to, sh to be a reflection. And usually spouses just throw rocks as opposed to, oh, what's inside me. And so yeah. anyway, I just, that's a really good point because you know, you think um, if I am not able to celebrate and rejoice with something good that's happened to somebody else, it's really identified an insecurity in me. Yes. Yes. But here's the fascinating thing. And this is the other part of another aspect of an honor culture is that do you honor yourself? Mm. So in the process of that, so I've, Someone else is being honored, and it bothers me, okay? And honestly, there are times when that happens. Now, the question is, do I immediately go into guilt and shame mode, self-guilt and self-shame, or do I go, wow, I just have identified that I there's an insecurity in me. Yeah, I have more areas to grow, or yes, or bring to the So in my world, then... I have to ask the question, why am I, you know, in my role as a person who's, you know, a follower of Jesus, yeah. then I ask the question, why am I not letting Jesus love me in that area? Hmm. And as opposed to going into sh game, uh, shame and guilt over yes. that. Yes. It's, now I got to hide the fact I should feel, I feel really bad because I should be celebrating on this. Oh, I, you know, what if anybody knows that, I'm really jealous. Right. Of the, oh, what, what if the inside, some, what if somebody knew that I'm inside, I'm going, oh, Razor, Frazzer, that guy just always, you know, he gets credit, <laughs> credit shouldn't be due, and on and on and on and on. What if they knew? Right. Well, what if I just said, I'm going to let God love that right out of my life. Yes. I'm not going to try to make that happen. I'm going to let him love me in this area because I don't want that anymore. I don't want to carry around that burden. I want to be at a place that literally I can party with whoever is partying. Yes. That's <laughs> that's right. Right. And that is where, I mean, I think, you know, when we weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, that is the place of truly being a healed, yes. whole human that can not focus on ourselves, but be with the other and, yes. and be not just, with them in presence, but in spirit, in true compassion, co yes. co passions together to, yes. and walk aside alongside someone. Yes, I think uh, I, I equate it. You know, light and darkness. I think society teaches that they are counter forces to one another, mm -hmm. and in the universal law is that that's not the case. Wherever there's light, there's no darkness, and wherever there's darkness, there's no light, and. Mm -hmm. Darkness is not a counterforce to light. It exists in the absence of light. Mm -hmm. So when I look at the inner human and the pain that could arise or the jealousy or insecurity, I think that's light hitting a door that has yet to be opened to allow light in. So that's good. what you're saying is let Jesus love, like love me in that area. I think it's prompting and saying, oh, there's more that I can open up inside me. And I encourage everyone crack open every door you can and don't stop until you are so full of light that it just yes. emanates out your very pores. I yes. mean, that, that yes. is beauty. Yes. Well, you know, I like what you said because what you're really saying is if you, anytime you get two or more people hmm. yep. together who are healed and whole, you will have an honor culture. Yes. In yes. fact, it's impossible for you not to have an honor culture at that point in time, uh, because we, I believe, are wired to actually honor one another. That is how we were wired. 
and whole and healed people do this. This is what they do. They, yes. they honor one another. Yes. Yes. And, and as you've always said, hurt people hurt people. Yeah, that's right. That's so they're right. the other side of that. Yes. Healthy people heal people. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So let's, let's transition to, you know, you, you've been doing some work with people that are the forgotten per se, or the, you know, the homeless, which are an easy, ignorable group. In yes. Society. But tell me like recently what you've been doing uh, with that regard. Well, there's been a number of aspects are, around that. And um, it's been a concern and a heart a concern that I have. And I haven't found the political solutions to have much merit in them. Uh, the, the right oftentimes, and I, I by the way, I, I have no problem talking about I'm a, I'm a self-identified conservative uh, mostly but but the only reason is because i believe that those solutions are the best for the poor mm. and that's that's really why it's it's um but but at times there's this sense of anger so those who are i'm gonna back up in an honor culture everybody that's living in my town is a part of my family mm. now those people that are living on the street trying to survive they're a part of my family. Hmm. So the question isn't how do I get rid of these people? The question is how do I think of them as my sons and daughters hmm. who I want them to be raised up to be able to, in essence, sit at the family table and laugh and be a contributing part of the family. Hmm. I want them to have the dignity of having of being a contributor to the family, not a taker from the family, yeah. uh, but a contributor to the family. I want them to know that when the chips are down, the family is with them. But we also know that they were created for a purpose and therefore they are able to contribute and they will find great joy in that. Mm. So when you begin to look at it that way, it pretty much blows all the traditional motivations and arguments that we encounter. So much, so much of the time people are motivated by, I just want these people off my streets. They're making a mess. Yeah. You know, they, I can't, they're, they're messing up our business. Uh, we can't get into the library because they're blocking the doors. The parks are unusable because there's tents and needles all over the place. Um, you know, they're in my way when I'm trying to get into the grocery store and they keep trying to, you know, push their hand out in front of me or something like that. Yeah. And we want those people out of there. So anything we need to do to get them out of there, let's get them out of there. They're invading our space. Mm. Well, you know, you're, you, a family member can't invade the space of your home. Mm. They're part of your home. Mm. So on the other hand, then you have other solutions which are well we're just going to let them stay in that spot um it's okay in essence that my kids are sleeping out on the porch cold all the time because they don't want to come in and be a contributor to the rest of the family they don't want to be a part of something positive it's okay if they do that um, i'm going to be kind and compassionate and just keep flinging them the drugs while I go off and go to work in the morning. Yeah. Like, well, no, that's not, that's not loving either. That's not a part of a family. Hmm. So we've been really working to ask the question, to reframe the conversation around that. It is not loving to let someone sit there in that place, nor are they not, I should say, but they are part of our family. So we want to treat them like they're our family members yeah. and we want wholeness and we want health. I, I literally keep going back to what if I had a kid who was addicted to something um, and their whole life was messed up 
and they had some severe behavioral problems because of some of the choices that they had made or maybe some of the things that had happened to them. Right. Um, what would I do? Well, first of all, I would want to know the whole story and everything that's gone on. Um, and then I would seek to understand, you know, every aspect that got them where they, um, to the place that they were at. And then, so that's good, but that's still not loving that person in any mature sense of the word. Because now the next thing is, I value you. I hold you in high enough esteem. I honor you. You are capable, and therefore, we have a way for you to be able to move forward towards a place of health and wholeness and healing. Hmm. Now, if that son or daughter of mine says, I'm not going to do that. I'm totally at ease right here, living off, living on the property, doing whatever I want to do. As a, as a father, I would say, no, I'm not going to let you stay and do that. Yeah. But the problem is if my neighbor next door says, well, you can move in with me and keep shooting, you know, and doing whatever you're doing. Wait a minute. That's not loving. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to create an environment where we are seeking to uh, understand the story, put them on a path towards healing and wholeness, have them be a part of a community, but then doing the hard thing that's saying, because you have so much potential, we honor you, and therefore we are not going to let you stay in the spot. That's right. Means there are consequences to your behavior and what you are doing. And the, the worse it is, the more severe they may become. Right. But we honor you versus a tolerance culture. I will just tolerate the fact that you're doing these things. I will just tolerate, you know, your behaviors and your brokenness. That's not an honor culture. Right. That's a tolerance culture. That's easy. That's easy. The honor culture actually requires engagement and love. Mm. And the honor culture has no joy in creating dependencies. They actually have joy in creating fully fulfilled people of capacity. Mm. That's an honor culture. So we do not have an honor culture in our region in terms of the poor. Um, we either have an anger culture or we have a culture that says, I like people being dependent because it fulfills my agenda yeah. uh, politically. Uh, if I keep them in this place of dependency, my job is secure. I can continue to talk about this. I can continue to uh, marshal more and more resources, which I will control. And I will have the people um, that, I, that are now completely dependent upon me. That's not an honor culture. So we're not living in this issue of those of our family that are living, surviving on the streets. We have not had an honor culture towards those people by and large. And that's what we've been working on. That's cool. And it's been remarkable. Some of the, some of the things that have happened as, as we have done that have, have been remarkable. And, um, One thing that comes to mind is accountability is showing love. Yes, it is. Because if I don't love you, then I don't care for you. I don't even check in. It doesn't, there's whatever happens to you is like a, like a leaf in the wind. It's blowing. It's like fine. But accountability is saying this leaf is attached to my branch and I, I am, you know, we're all part of this tree together. Yes. And so to be the most loving we can, it really takes to be accountable and to also create the safe for uh, space for accountability, safe yes. accountability yes. for yes. the person to say, I've done heinous things, but will you still listen to me? Will you still walk with me as opposed to I've done heinous things, get, and they hear, get out of here. Or, you know, that's where I think the honor culture is really saying what Jesus said is he was without sin, cast the first stone. Yes. And everyone drops the stone, walks away because we're all in the same team. Yes. We're all in the same yes. bucket. Yes. And before we started this podcast, you and I were talking is that the left and the right, no one, no one can survive 
sitting on a wing of an airplane. We all sit in the center. And even if we like the, the tilt and the fun ride, we go down together or we rise together. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. that, we are all in this together. And I really love what you're doing and talking yes. about accountability and yeah. honor. Yes. This yes. Is I like the way you said it because what struck me in thinking through this honor culture is an honor culture is 100% grace and an honor culture is 100% truth at yes. the same time. Yes. Yes. Cause accountability is, it is, it's not saying, um, Hey, I'm checking in with you. How are you doing? So I'm, oh, I'm doing good and not getting to the truth of right. no, how truly right. are you being in this moment? Like what, right. What do you, like I've been raising our kids. This is the two questions I ask them every single day they come home. And I teach this at the men's retreat about being a father. I ask them, what was the most painful moment of your day? And mm. what was the greatest part of your day? Mm. And I have heard, first of all, it's terrible what kids do to each other. I'm like, geez. But I create that space to say, what was the most painful? What hurt you today? Yes. Not just, hey, how was your day? And we want to hear, oh, it was good. Okay, good. Have a good, you know, let's go play back. No, what what pain are you experiencing so that we can bring it to the surface? We can talk about it and it can be healed and moved away. That is accountability. Absolutely. Yes. And an honor culture begins with the truth of who this person is. Hmm. And therefore, it's calling that person to be fulfilled yes. in that. A tolerance culture actually never deals with the truth of who this person is. It's, it's willing to let this person be significantly less than who they are because it's easy. The tolerant culture is incredibly lazy. It's yeah. a very lazy culture. Yeah. Um, the honor culture does take effort. But the difference is it's also fulfilling. And so there's an energy cycle that happens through that where, yes, it takes energy, but when you're being renewed and you're experiencing great things, it is a renewing energy that happens. The tolerance culture is, it's just, it's just laziness. What we're watching right now with um, Seattle and the leadership in Seattle around homelessness is just, mm. it's just flat out laziness. Mm. So, it just takes flat out work to honor and to love all the people that are living on that street with the expectation and the commitment that you are going to get out of this. And at some point in time, we're going to sit at the table as equals. Yes. Yes. As brothers. And you're going to share the stories of all the cool things that are going on in your life. And we are going to be equals and honor culture does not tolerate a we, they, it was not tolerated and, and us versus them. Mm. It lives in the place of we all the time. That is not those, those people living on the street in my city are not them. It is we living on the street. They're part of my family, mm. the we type thing. My employees are not, it's not I'm the owner and they're the employees. No, we are in this together. This is what we are doing. Mm. I mean, and it should be because I have employees that are way more talented than I am. <laughs> way smarter. You know some of them. I know some of them, yeah. You know? <laughs> it's like, and you would agree. They're smarter than me. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they're smarter. Because you're committed to truth. And yeah. so you have to say, you have to me. So it, there is just no time for that. But when, but, you know, when you, look at the, when you look at the poor, when you look at the homeless, when you look at the folks living on the streets, I honestly don't think left or right is interested at some point in time in sitting at the, sitting at the table and looking at their equal. Hmm. I think there's always this sense of either go away, I don't want to see you anymore, or stay here, but I always want to I always want you to remember you owe me. Hmm. That's not an honor culture. No. An honor culture is I can't wait for the day when we sit down and have a meal together and we kill a beautiful bottle of wine and you share with me the stories of what you're doing in your life. Yes. And I hear about how you are who you were meant to be, Mm. which was not living in your, in your filth on the street. Mm. I am so glad we have this this conversation. (laughs) 
thank you for thank you for coming on. Thank you for your heart and your strength and your voice. And um, one more time, how can people find you? And I will definitely put this in the show notes, but just so you can vocalize it here on the podcast. Yeah, go to um, either the, the generosity.agency or um, sozogifts.com. Um, and either one of those places will get them to us and what we're doing. And, um, and, and I guess a little plug, if you're going into the holiday season and you're trying to figure out I want to give a really high quality premium gift that actually impacts someone's life. Um, then you definitely need to come to Sozo Gifts uh, because uh, every single gift proceeds go to something that uh, you end up by choosing, whether that's providing meals, safe nights for kids off the street, uh, college for girls safe from trafficking, uh, counseling for returning veterans and their families. Uh, we could go on and on. Medical kits in emergency uh, areas, you know, all, I mean, all we could go on and on. But it's it's re it's really fun when you give something really good, you know, like a double gold medal winning bottle of wine. Yeah. And it also provides a day for a college for a girl that got saved from trafficking. Yeah. That's a good fun. That's, that's fun right there, man. <laughs> that's winning. That's winning. That's a win right there. So... Uh, anyway, so yeah, come to Sozo Gifts and yeah. Thank so you. Anyway. Well, it's been such a pleasure having Martin on the show today. Please go to Sozo Gifts, go to generosity.agency. You'll see what he's talking about. And this conversation is important. Whether you got triggered, whether you agreed or disagreed, whatever went and came up for you during this conversation, I say beautiful. I say, let it come forth and reach out. Let's have a conversation, reach out to Martin, find him online and let's have the dialogue because we can communicate together and we can walk side by side to make the world the place we want it to truly be, which is a world where people are shown compassion because we share compassion with people. My name is Lucas Mack. Thank you so much for Tuning in to the Golden Rule Revolution, where inspiration and purpose come from treating people like people and nothing less. I'll talk to you on the next episode.